Hi everyone, we are UK Motor Talk and I'm Mike. Hello. I'm Jim. I'm back. Hello. And I'm Dave. Hello Jim, how are you? And how is everyone else? Where have you been? I've got a thumping headache. But apart from that, I think you've got a thumping headache as well, haven't you Dave? Yes. We've both got a headache and what have you had this week, Gates? Kidney failure. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I, mean, you, I have a, a, usually a collection of, of various different diseases that I've picked up on my tour around Great Britain and... <laughs> I have, uh, at the moment, something which may be some form of arthritis in my hands, which means because it's now cold, I can't bend my fingers. That's a problem. And I've also picked up a kidney, not kidney disease, kidney uh, kidney infection, which is most unpleasant. So I'm just in pain in, in all kinds of different places as a result of my uh, various activities. But hey, what can we do? We, we crack on, we record podcasts, and we hope that you do enjoy podcasts. And as always, if you have anything you want us to talk about, don't forget to let us know on the socials we are at uk motor talk everywhere i think we should start with some news first and good news you've spotted something something that's returned to our roads dave that's usually well in the middle lane of a motorway doing 60 miles an hour yes the new toyota prius we were going to be denied this because uh well it's excitement really uh, toyota had decided they weren't going to sell it here for the same reason that um Volvo are pulling out of selling estates and things in this country, i.e. the SUV. They reckon that uh, Britain wanted SUVs, and as a result, Toyota make SUVs that are hybrids and things, so you can have all the fun and games of the Prius, but uh, in a looking-down-on-people sort of way. And I mean, obviously, there's far more to this than just the SUV thing, but you know, they do, to be fair, they do make a number of other parallel hybrids and plug-in hybrids and so on that... You know, you can buy in any other form other than the Prius, but it did seem a bit of a shame because, to be honest, the new Prius does look pretty good. It's the first nice-looking Prius. actually looks quite smart, quite sharp, angular, and with the bigger engine and the bigger motor and all this sort of thing, it's actually pretty nippy, 6.7 to 60. So I not saw so, that. Not so dawdly in bad, the uh, middle it? lane. No, no, it's actually really good, and I've... You know, I've read the reviews, I've seen the videos. Doug DeMuro, no less, was raving about it. And for a man who spends half his life whizzing around in things that do naught to 60 in the blink of an eye, even he thought it was quite good. So, you know, can't be too bad. So I think I think that's a bit of good news. I don't think I'd be sort of target audience for one, but I would miss it if it wasn't here. And the fact that we get to see one on the roads, and they do look quite distinctive. I'll see loads up in town with Addison Lee stickers in the back window. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that'd be quite fun. They're better than the used to be which is which is not hard but i think you do i suppose have to give the the prius a bit of credit for normalizing or mainstreaming hybrid technology kind of you know it's moved it on in in the same way that tesla have moved on the idea of an electric car you know they've taken it from being a milk float to something that's actually quite high performance and good fun to a three series alternative in. let's be honest well the prius no 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 the, no. the, the, the the model, the model three. I think when it comes to Teslas oh, and, yes. and the Model S, I mean quality, no. But in terms of what rep cars did you see on the road constantly? It was a C class, usually a C two twenty AMG, um, depending on how well you've done, presumably, or a, a three series M Sport of whatever different flavour, a three one eight on up well, to whatever. Pr- probably a plug in hybrid, just because company car tax. And yeah, why yeah. not? But it's done that. It, it makes a lot of sense though. The Prius shape, because let's face it. SUVs aren't exactly aerodynamic. So if you want to to get the best efficiency and everything else that goes with it, 
it makes sense to have something that's a bit more of a slippery shape, and they are a bit of a slippery shape. And it does have quite a cool feature, a solar panel on the roof. I don't think it's in the UK, actually. The previous generation had it, and in the previous generation, it would run the air conditioning in the car for you whilst you weren't in it to keep the car at a pleasant temperature when you did get back in it. But they reckon this version is actually going to put power into the battery maybe enough for something like 700 odd kilometers a year which i think is quite interesting mm. the range and and things like that all add up quite quickly because lots of people mm. you know sort of say oh you're plug-in hybrid range oh that's only 30 miles that's useless but 30 miles a it's day not. all day every day is ten thousand miles a year the average mileage in the uk is well depending on covid or lockdowns or not is you know 10, 12,000 miles a year. So if you can mm. do the average miles per year purely on electric, well, that's about right, isn't it? Surely. Or am I missing the point here? No, it, it definitely sounds right. I'll, I'll be honest. I hated the first Prius. The second generation Prius, which was, what, 2000 and mid-2000s, I had one of those briefly. Uh, I got given one for a few days. It was a company car or loan car. I can't even remember what it was now. Who did you upset? And, what did you do? Well... I was given the brief. Did you talk to your boss like you normally talk to me most days? And that's what he did to you. Uh, Well, (laughs) it does does strike me as the kind of thing that might have happened. At the time, I was driving an Audi A4 diesel, as was was the thing, customary at the time, which had 170 horsepower, all the torque in the world, and maybe some soot coming out the back unless you opened the bonnet. But it would do 62 to the gallon at motorway speed with the cruise control on all day every day and i was getting about 56 out of the prius trying to drive it carefully so at the time i was thinking well this is just pointless you might as well just drive the diesel nowadays that seems like a very old-fashioned view doesn't it that you might go for a diesel instead it's the way that you use them and you have to fit your mileage and your journeys to the type of car that you own you know the the top gear thing of well let's put a prius and an m5 on the track at the same time well Yes, if you drive it flat out, generally, larger engine, more powerful cars are better because they're less stressed at it. Similarly, if you're, you know, you don't buy a plug-in hybrid if you do 30,000 miles a year and it's all on the motorway because it'd be awful. But if all you do is short local journeys bimbling around most of the time, then a plug-in hybrid is perfect. And I think around town is where something like the Prius comes into its own, which is why they've been so popular as taxis, because they spend most of their time bimbling around town or the middle of London doing half a mile an hour. So, perfect. I can't quite decide whether the Prius has got better looking by virtue of the fact that it is genuinely better looking, or by the fact everything else around it has got worse looking. By the ubiquitous <laughs> SUV, is it now that someone releases a car and goes, ooh, a car? As opposed to it being an SUV. (laughs) Well, it certainly looks better than... It's it's gradually got better looking apart from the the full plug-in version that they run at the minute, which really only a mother could love. But, I mean, since the first one was launched in, what, I think it was about 96, 97, Mm -hmm. it's one of them down the road from us that's still sort of pottering around. And I think it's a Japanese import as well, so somebody really wanted one of those or didn't know (laughs) what they were buying. Cool. Think of the carbon footprint. Yeah, exactly. Missing the point dramatically. And it's probably batteries. I mean, the fact it must have had new batteries by now because pretty much every first gen and probably next gen Prius has either been scrapped because it the batteries made it completely and utterly unworthy of being on the road three times over just to replace the battery pack. But the fact, you know, the fact that that thing's still running around is nice, but it's 
ugliest sin, the first one. It was almost oh, willfully God, yeah. ugly. And we've now reached mm. the point. I mean, I'm looking at the picture now. It's this very sort of shovel-nosed... It, it reminds me, actually, from one angle of... MG4? The MG4. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. I keep seeing them everywhere now. They're very mm. popular for good they're reason. Good. They're, they're brilliant yeah. cars. I mean, you know you've, you've all driven them. I, I haven't yet. But great cars, very distinctive. And this Prius does seem to be... I mean, from the back, mm. it looks a bit like the sort of the Mark II Tigre. It's a bit weird, you know, the clamshell glass and the sort of the high-lipped spoiler thing. But, you know, it's a good-looking car. And then, as you say, in a world of bulky, angular SUVs with squared-off arches, it's quite nice to see something that's pleasing on the eye. And again, for that reason, I'll be pleased to see him on the road. I'm not entirely sure that I, I buy Toyotas. We bought it back because... We think that there's now a market for it and there's demand for it. I, I think part of it is because I suspect with the, the forthcoming ZEV mandate and that being that manufacturers have to sell 22% of uh, everything they sell needs to be electric if they're a volume manufacturer. Um, otherwise, they get fined £15,000 a car. Now, Ford have got a big problem with this because they sell a lot of cars and not enough of them are electric. And Toyota the same because they've only really got one fully electric offering, which is the Alphabet Soup BZ or said five, six, seven X or something. There's a Q in it somewhere as well. It's it's just like someone's emptied Scrabble pieces in front of you to make a word (laughs) out of this. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But it's not hugely popular. It's relatively pricey, as are most legacy manufacturers' EVs, and it's not particularly exotic or high quality. So it's not like they've taken a a, a well-known brand and then just uh, sort of bastardised the name by chucking it onto something else. There are lots of manufacturers that have done those SUVs, for example. The Eclipse was one thing that sort of popped in my head. But nevertheless, I suspect what they're trying to do is draw attention to the fact that their overall fleet CO2, this is very exciting, so bear with me on this, the overall fleet CO2 is really low and probably the lowest of any of the mainstream manufacturers, in fact. So I, I suspect they're going to try and use that as a way of saying, look, come on, we are trying at doing this. We need to think of a way that this is suddenly acceptable because they will be fined in the same way as a manufacturer that made on bulk, in theory, pure V8s. They could be selling 5,000 V8s a year or 5,000 hybrid, whatever they are a year. If they're not electric or zero emission, it, it almost makes no difference, which seems a tad unfair. And I think that's Toyota's stance. So the cynic in me thinks, are they, are they doing this just to try and uh, help with legislative changes probably yes it does seem odd that the you know the the ice ban has shifted along by five years but the target and the ramp up hasn't you know is is a bit like uh oh we've uh we've resurfaced the uh playing field you know the the park that you take your kids to we've uh we've resurfaced and lowered the ground by five feet lovely have have you moved the slide at all no no the slide's in the same place <laughs> as you move the ground but not the slide Yes, is is exactly what's happened here. It's almost well, why mm. why delay the ban if you're just going to make the ramp up and the fines and everything else in the meantime stay exactly the same? Then why bother? But I will, I will just say I have spotted a a Prius Le Mans edition, which is in kind what? of a funky map. <laughs> it's actually quite a thing. It's it's got a a dark or carbon fiber looking. Yeah, it's got a carbon fiber bonnet. It's got canards and some LEDs and some you know. Writing on the tyres and 18-inch alloys and this, that, the other. Actually, looks quite good. It's like a, a Prius GR, I suppose. And it's a ooh, actually sort of look at that and think, yeah, I wouldn't mind one of them. It looks a bit like a touring car. So there we are. But, I, you know, I don't know what my excuse is for looking at a Prius and thinking, 
oh, actually, that's quite nice. I mean, you're is delete your search history now. (laughs) Eyesight problems is a uh, is a side effect of diabetes, isn't it? So that's that's your excuse. But have you caught it? Have you have you caught the diabetes from me? Ocular migraines also can. can affect your vision. I can speak from experience there. So you know, th- use that one. As ah, your there we experience. are. That's it. I'll I'll put it down to my migraine. So, but don't worry. Normal uh, normal service will be resumed next time. I'm sure. Is this the automotive equivalent of finding sort of brown brogues and brown trousers and high waisted slacks more attractive the older you're meant to get? I'm. I must admit, I haven't quite reached that point yet. But uh, you know, you know, you're getting old when you want the sort of the brown farers back, and you also want a Prius. What's, what's, what's hang on, hang on a second. Brogues. Yes. Oh, sorry, not brogues. Uh, hush puppies, then. Okay, right. Oh, there so, we go. That's, that's all right, then. Yeah, I'm just not enough. wearing them in town. But, you know, uh, it's, the car, it's, it's the automotive trade in us that, that feels drawn to brown brogues, I think. Brown brogues <laughs> yeah, and blue so. suits. Blue, blue suit, the, uh, brown shoes. That's that's it. The wide boy look. It's the car salesman classic, isn't it? Not that either is a car salesman, but nevertheless, we are in the industry, so there you go. Indeed. What I do find interesting is that Ford have decided to delay their twelve billion investment into EV. Some people are saying, Oh, it's because there's no public interest in it. And I wonder if maybe that's part of it. There's been so much in the media about electric cars giving you, I don't know, hives or something constantly catching fire and all the rest of it, which is absolute nonsense that uh, Land Rover I think in in Luton so so it uh, it turns out was a diesel one for example and they seem to be relatively uh well let's say there's been a few of them I won't say it's common but there've been a few allegedly that have done something similar but Ford have delayed this 12 billion uh, uh, investment for a couple of reasons firstly because they've had a lot of union strikes which has cost them 1.3 billion dollars something like, like 7 to 900 money, yeah 7 to 900 dollars a car they reckon it's added to the cost but also because of partly because of consumer appetite, partly because of technology, and I think partly because the the cost of getting everything where they need it to be isn't quite there yet. So, legacy manufacturers, as we've said many times before, are struggling to catch up with a lot of the Chinese brands who started this a lot earlier, and as a result, they seem to have wound it back, and it's it's not affected them positively. Their share price has gone down a bit. Are they going to be the only legacy manufacturer that are going to reduce their their investment for the moment, or did they just go a bit too big too soon without having the products in place? Uh, I think so. Well, we should have had the um, the Explorer, uh, well, early part of next year, but that's now late next year. Although the uh, the charge around the globe as uh, the lass is doing seems to be going okay, I think. Although it seems to be, I'd, I'd sort of obviously misinterpreted it because I was looking at the website and the. Um, if you're not looking at this, it's the uh, it, in essence driving all the way around the world in an electric car, which to me kind of sort of sounds like well, set off from one point and keep driving in one direction until you sort of run out of planet to drive around. You know, whether you start from the bottom of Africa and drive across all the way up and all the way across Russia and across and across America or back down again or whatever, I don't know. But she sort of did a bit in Europe and then suddenly started again in Africa. It's like, well, how did you get the car from where you finished in Europe to where you started in Africa? And is it the same car? And where did you get the car from? Because nobody else can have the car, so where's your one from? This is quite an interesting challenge, though. I appreciate this has been done as a marketing exercise, but this is a world record attempt to drive an electric vehicle, Ford Explorer, of which there are no others in the world that uh, that are currently available for anyone to test or drive. Uh, press obviously, if you're listening, we wouldn't mind having a go. But apparently not, not available for anyone to, to even find out how far it goes on a charge. And maybe from this we would possibly know. Which is uh, Lexi Limitless, who is the youngest person to have travelled every country in the world at a very young age. She made her way around the entire world. And she's now 
following a similar journey to a character called Aloha Vunderwell. Vunderwell? Not Vunderwell. sure. Any, yes. Yes. Right. Uh, he made a way around the world in, in four model tees. And there's, there's quite a lot to that story. So there's, there's plenty there to unpack if you want to do a Google. But went around the world and, and basically presented her story to everyone. But she's, in order to break the world record, is having to drive across the globe not round it as such, but sort of across it, visiting each continent for ending back where she started. So it is quite interesting because you think if you are in the middle of very rural Africa, where do you charge up? Can you get enough electricity to it? So if you're interested in following her journey, it's uh, Lexi Limitless on Instagram and on YouTube. I think on the, you know, has the appetite sort of disappeared? I'm, I'm not sure that the appetite for EVs per se has disappeared. I just think that in general, the appetite to go and shell out, and from the mainstream manufacturers, certainly a lot of money. I, mm. I think that appetite has kind of disappeared because, mm-hmm. although the you know the the headlines and cost of living crisis and this that the other is you know it's not quite in the headlines as much. There's other things that have jumped in, but it's uh, I don't know. Re- regardless of how sort of comfy or happy you are or whatever, you know, is a 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 pound plus commitment, a sensible thing at the moment. Maybe, mm. maybe not. You know, intre- I think interest rates probably have been the uh, the biggest cause of it. There's, you know, we'd all got so used to 0%, 0%, 0% on everything, 0% on your DFS sofa, which uh, I think they had a sale the other week, actually, just to, uh, to bump up uh, sales a bit. It's unusual. Um, yeah, very unusual. It's, um, but, you know, 0% on a 60 grand car is not a lot of interest. All of a sudden, if you shoot up to 7, 8, 9, 10, 11%, that's a lot of interest, and that adds a lot to a monthly cost. And I think as mm. the there'd be lots of people who'd uh, who'd fix their mortgages just before the rate shot up, and then oh, actually, mm. I'm staring down the barrel now. Of if you look at the timing of when interest rates started to go up, so when a lot of people would have fixed, there'd be a lot of people who within the next three years are staring at a big, big mortgage rise. And PCPs on a lot of cars, okay, the cheaper stuff is maybe two years, but if it's something a bit lumpier, that tends to be three years. If the last couple of months of that are after your fixed rate mortgage ends, oh, do I really want a 700 quid a month on a PCP for an electric whatever when my mortgage is suddenly going to go up by 700 pounds? No, no, I don't. So I think Mm. a lot of people will have just looked at it and said, unless I can do it at a lower interest rate or for a shorter time, then... I can't take the risk. And and I think where well, Elon Musk had said the other day, you know, high interest rates are not helping Tesla. I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons. It's not an EV thing. It's a, I'm not going to be able to afford it. And and I think I dare say if you looked at the, uh, the uptake of expensive cars in general, I think that's probably dropped off in, in the last few months as well. If you looked at, I don't know, M5 competition sales and, you know, any, anything, M3, sales you know anything that's that's expensive but attainable within reason i think will have dropped off as well you know i'm mm. not talking about ferraris and lamborghinis and what what's a mortgage no i don't have one of them how much you know well how much do you pay for your house which one oh okay yes you're in that kind of bracket that won't be affected by all of this it's yeah i, I think it's just a cost thing and yeah 60 70 80 90 grand for a family suv is a lot of money and too much for most people. 
they certainly, I mean, those of us sort of swimming around at the bottom of the uh, the tank who are looking at second-hand cars, I mean, I have I was thinking it might be quite nice to sort of replace mine like for like with, you know, the, the more modern equivalent because I've had that for getting on for five, well, it's five years pretty much. But to be honest, looking at the price to replace, everything's gone up. And so, I mean, this isn't with mm. loans or anything. I'm debt-free on cars and things at the minute, which is a very nice thing to be in. And it would... Um, I don't really particularly want to get back into debt just to sort of get something slightly newer when it's it's doing me for now. I'm fortunate in that I'm a better position than some people who are looking at sort of, as Jim says, massive mortgage rises and, and huge increases. I mean, the cost of living is affecting us all, but you know, fortunately we sorted ourselves mortgage-wise a little while ago and that's a huge milestone. And you don't suddenly think, I'm in a real rush to go back into a lot of debt. So I'm going to go and rush mm. out and buy myself a very expensive car. And it wouldn't be a hugely more expensive car than the one I've got. I could probably sell mine for not far off what I paid for it five years ago because of the way things have gone and possibly because of what it is. But I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. And like you say, spending money at the minute in the in the teeth of a recession is probably not a good idea. So I'd say that's probably having a massive impact on yeah. people. It's it's not the technology. The technology's coming, whether we like it or not. More and more cars you're seeing on the road have got a green stripe on the end of the number plate. That's happening. It's just whether or not people are willing to sort of go and spend the big bucks on the on the super duper things like the fully electric seven series or the Tesla or or the whatever. They're more than happy to perhaps poodle around in, I don't know, the Renault equivalent or something a bit less high-end. The MG, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the MG4, mm. the electric, one of those, seeing lots and lots of them because they are not cheap, but they are cheaper. And I think that tells you probably the way the market's going. Electric's happening, but it's not happening at the higher end so much. I think because you're also within the commutable distance to to London, you're you're likely to see a lot more. I mean, theoretically, it'd be it'd be one in five new cars next year. So we will see more and more and more of them. But when the the average car is thirty nine and a half thousand pounds in the UK now, uh, and and EVs are forty thousand pound plus, it's a lot of money. And funnily enough, I looked at uh, at, at my wife's car, um, which is the Ateca. Um, we all had to think about it just for a second. I was going to say, are, are you sure you were looking at your wife's car? Was it just yes. a another car? Could have been any car. That to to buy to buy a new version of pretty much the same. We bought um, we bought hers about eighteen months old um, because it meant that we could basically pay for it rather than PCPing it. But yeah, the the cost of the new version of her car, pretty much like for like, is near enough double what we paid. Uh, So that suddenly becomes a a a big number. Um, It really does, and it's not a particularly expensive car. The the Ateco, it's a it's a normal average family car. Um, it's it's quite nice. It's it's the same as a a Tiguan, a Caroc, uh, or Q3. Basically, underneath it does make you think. It really does. And and like you say, are people just not do people not have the appetite for replacing like for like, particularly as traditional ice engine cars, the investment has has clearly dropped off, and they're becoming more of a a facelift or mid cycle action as it's as it's called in the trade, where they change the bumpers, change the lights, and take or remove a few features. It's just the same car, pretty much as it was before, until ultimately it gets killed off in favour of uh, in favour of electric. And and in case of uh, of of the say Ateca, by the, when the next time when the Ateca dies off, so does the rest of the brand because Seat is going. It's a mobility company for scooters and other things, and Cupra will carry on in its place. So 
yeah, I mean, they're, they're letting the thing sort of fizzle out rather than developing it. And I think those are pretty much the two options. You let your, your range fizzle out or replace it with something electric, and, and that's where we are with it. But I think at the moment, the appetite of the general public to be dictated to as to what they must and must not do is causing a bit of a revolt. And there's been a lot of anti-ULES sentiment uh, in the capital. I saw a load of supercars driving through London in protest of it, ironically, that do comply with the ULES. I thought that was quite quite amusing that they are able to drive through. <laughs> the issue is that the regular people that have cars, which aren't that old really these days, so I don't know, your 1011 plate cash cars or whatever it might be. A friend of mine sold his Mondeo estate, EcoBoost, and sold it relatively recently, and that's gone to live in the ULES zone. The guy had bought a cash car, um, not particularly old one, lives just outside Heathrow and has to cross the ULES to get to work, dips in and out of it, I think. And the result of it is he's had to buy another car just so that he can get across the ULES, because otherwise he has to pay his £12.50 a day. And we've seen lots of action where they've been chopped down by so-called Blade Runners. The cameras, this is, not not people buying Mondeos. <laughs> just want to clarify that. Uh, and and uh, yeah, lots of um, strong feeling, I think. And the fact then we have this financial implication at a time where we have a cost of living crisis and financial pinch, uh, it, it's all sort of uh, ended up in a melting pot and, and it's probably all not the right time for this to be happening at the moment, particularly when we're looking at uh, manufacturers having to the face getting everything ready for 2030, despite an extended deadline for 2035, this mandate we're talking about where the percentage of electric cars has to increase year on year until 2030 or be fined. And by the same token, vehicles that are coming into the UK, thanks to Brexit, are likely to attract extra tariffs, including rules of origin tariffs on batteries and the like. If they don't come from a from a local source, they get another 10% put on top. So the cost it is it's very counterproductive. You want people to adopt a greener vehicles, particularly electric, then make them more expensive at the time as a cost of living crisis and taxing people for driving other vehicles. It all just it doesn't seem to make sense in my mind. There's no there's no real joined up thinking. So it's a bit of a mess. So there's a lot to watch, I think, at the moment. The other thing as well, just as the uh, the weather takes a turn for the uh, the slightly inclement, I think would be uh, one way of putting it over the last week or so. But of course, as it gets colder, if you toddle along to your nearest dealer to test drive an electric whatever, with 100% charge, the range in it will be less than it was in the middle of summer. So mm-hmm. you'll look at that and think, oh, well, actually, if the range is only... 200 and something rather than 300 and something or one something instead of two something oh that's not quite so good and of course it's that you know this is not a problem that affects uh internal combustion cars so much that although the fuel we economy notice, does do suffer yeah. well no you tend not to notice but i think that the fuel economy suffers slightly in cold weather because it takes a bit longer to warm up and that's about it really it's you know you tend to run your aircon all year anyway you as i say you tend not to notice, you just fill it up and it costs you whatever it costs you. But the electric car gives you that real, oh, 100% gives you X miles and that's it. And uh, when the, the range drops off, it's it's the equivalent of losing 30 40% of your range sometimes. So that's the, oh, hang on, fuel was £1.50 a litre and it's now £2 something a litre. Oh, Ooh, that's expensive. I'm, you know, fuel shoots up to two pounds fifty overnight. You're not going to go out and buy a V8, are you? So your range drops off, your cost per mile goes up. It suddenly makes a lot less sense. 
I think, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be tempted to go out and buy a V8 or V12 or something. There's been some, some quite excellent Q cars kicking around there. And you spotted something actually in the news as well, didn't you, Dave, with regards to this? Odd rarities, unicorns, shall we call them? Yes. Yes. Well, this is, again, from our, our friends at Autocar. They do this quite interesting thing where they sort of take a, a selection of cars of a certain sort or, or motoring things of different types and they do a slideshow and they say when was the last time you saw one of these and you flick through oh yeah that's quite good and they do them sort of cue cars that are relatively affordable oh yeah that's quite good and quite often my car pops up on there but they tell people what your car is because we've we've spoken about it a bit in this podcast it's a mark ii skoda superb with the the 3.6 vr6 engine in it which they made very few of worldwide because basically they were designed for Czech government plutocrats to be wafted around Prague in, and that's about it. But it's basically the same engine as in the in a slightly detuned state as is in the you know the famous Passat R36. You get 300 horsepower if you've got the Volkswagen version. You get about 260, 270 if you're driving a Skoda because there's no way in the world they'd let the Skoda be better than the the flagship. But you know, it's still nippy and still fun. I was just looking to see whether or not you were wearing super dry, and and, if, and <laughs> no. Dad had no, no. I just, I just want purely because it strikes me as the exact kind of car that you'd expect to see with blue flashing lights behind the grill coming up behind you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, as, as some well, sort well, of interceptor suit. People who wear super dry. No, <laughs> they're just, undercover coppers. Yes, yes. This, this, you I'm, see a I'm lot of them, undercover. don't you? Yeah, yeah. so undercover. Even I don't realise. <laughs> yes. Well, it is fun for that. I mean, it's getting a bit leggy now. I mean, they they're onto the the newer shape ones, but it does still. If you do sort of come flying up behind people and they move in when they move in and move out when they do, they do tend to slow down, which is quite <laughs> it's quite good sport. And having had yeah. a few sort of Skodas of the sort that the police tend to like to use, it is a bit of a bit of a nasty trick to do to people. But I was just looking through, and these these are basically a list of cars that I think they've done it on the back of. You know, one of I'm sure one of all our favourite websites. How many left? Looking to see cars that not many were made or bought in the first place. Just you know, literally how few are still out there. So things like the the Passat W8, which never officially came here. I think I'm right in saying, but most of the ones that are here are, are Japanese imports. I mean, that sort of thing appeals to me as a Q car mm. aficionado. I mean, there's the I'm just looking now. There's the R36 in in the blue that they all seem to come in favoured by the uh, the armed response boys around our way as well as an estate version of what i've got for a bit now they're onto suvs obviously who remembers the the v6 xm do you remember the, do you even remember the xm the citroen xm which was the the slightly angular successor to the the CX, which I always loved. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They made a V6 version of that, which was about wow. three litre, 24 valve, nippy, but I mean, subtle as you wafty. like. Waft, yeah. Wafty, but, you know, would stay upright as well as sort of wafting around the corners the thing could handle because of its trick suspension when it worked. Mm. There's things like the, the 3.2 V6 Vauxhall Vectra, which uh, basically appeared in a lot of motorway police cars and mm. unmarked marked sort. There's, let's see how many of those they reckon there are left. Uh, 220 left today with um, most of them. Most of them still running, actually. It doesn't say anything about Sawn. There's, oh, there we go. 
Sorry, just talking of orphans, here's one that would be right up your alley. The Ford Orion 1600E of 1988. Specialist Tickford installed a full leather interior with real walnut door cappings. Well, it's funny you should say that, because I had one of those. Did you, now? Yes, I did. It was owned by three different people in the car club. I remember, because the day that I picked it up, it got to the point where the guy that I bought it from had taken out the seats, put it RS turbo seats. But I wanted the original, so he took them back out of his garden for me and put them back in, but they'd got a bit soggy. <laughs> so the day that I picked it up, it was basically raining inside the car. I had to drive back with all the windows open so I could see what was going on, constantly wiping the windscreen to try and to try and stop it. It was desperately unpleasant. And ah. I just remember being soggy all the way through. I restored it, all grey leather, thick carpet, and as you say, the burr walnut door cappings, built by Tickford. And because mm. of its, its links at the time, one of my mates used to call it, oh, he's coming the Aston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did have one of those. Looks good on the BBS alloys, actually. Yes. I'd forgotten it had those. They do look quite good. I'm, you Same know me, I'm a mine. bit of a sucker for BBS. Yes, I was BBS just thinking RAs. it does look very similar. It does look yep. very similar to um, what you're swanning around in when it's got an engine in. Yes, and it, if you're interested in that, by the way, this is my, my Ford Orion project, which is uh, an ST170-powered machine. There are lots of videos on this. You can follow the progress and be rebuilding it in different stages. On YouTube, we are at UK Motor Talk as we are everywhere else. But have a look in there. There's uh, there's more to come as well, and including more of my tales of woe, including having to spend yet more money on it because, uh, well, you'll find out. <laughs> One we did see, Jim and and I, was a BMW 550i. We saw that driving along the A27 the other day, and we were both were like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, but it, it didn't look like it was driven by the sort of person who'd rebadge, no. debadge, up badge, sideways badge, or anything. So it, it looked like a genuine one, mm, didn't it? Clean, it was a little dent in the front wing. If if that's you, we we appreciate you. That looked like a a sound buy. They're quite subtle things, aren't they? It's, it's yeah. basically the M5 for the person who just doesn't want people to think he drives an M5. Subtle as you like, will still basically go as fast as and maybe not handle around the Nürburgring quite so stupidly fast. But mm. um, you know you can do it and you've got nothing to prove to anybody. I, I think it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant idea. And I'd leave the badge on it as well because... You know, that's the only thing that's going to tell you. Normally, I'm all one for debadging things, mm. but um, I think with that, it's a case of if you know, you know. Yeah, definitely. That's it. There is one thing we haven't touched on, and I think we probably should before we go, and that is the Formula One, the Formula One, because there's been a, a few things that have happened there, haven't there? Yeah, it was quite. Uh, we had a, the last time out was uh, was Mexico, and it's uh, a. I like these um, as Helmut Marco described it as Latin American races but no it wasn't at all it was in the south of north america being in mexico and not latin america at all but anyway i uh, i digress but it was a uh, it was quite a quite a good race that i thought so apart from the the usual max verstappen winning which was a uh, it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion going into the race. It was a foregone conclusion after about the first 12 seconds of the race because Max got a good start and, and led as uh, Checo unfortunately took himself out and it was a bit uh, the roar from the crowd and uh, just the collective disappointment because he, uh, he did not get some local support, Checo, doesn't he? They're very uh, very passionate and very um, very partisan, the crowd. I did feel bad for him. He, uh, at least very quickly in the in the interview, Penn said it was his fault and owned up to it. I think he was just probably more worried about what was going to happen to Charles Leclerc. I mean, if that was me, I think I'd have sort of said, uh, OK, 
Ferrari team clear out the back of the garage because I'm coming into the pits, I'm driving through the back of the garage, I'm getting to the end, I'm turning left and I'm heading out of the paddock to the airport and I'm driving there in my F1 car and have my private jet waiting because at least my helmet is bulletproof because I'm a little bit worried about this. <laughs> yeah, the, the Checo mistake, he, he just squeezed Chol a bit too tight, I think, and, and three into one doesn't go, unfortunately. On a weekend where he sort of took himself out of the first corner, it's nice to have Danny Rick back and it's nice to have Danny Rick smiling and on form and, and driving a, uh, a hell of a race. He was punching well above his weight and I think he's uh, scored uh, more points for Alpha Tauri in one weekend than they've managed for most of the rest of the season and it's uh, it's just nice to have him back despite a, um, a quite, quite a little dainty finger I noticed on his left hand which he'd uh, obviously recently broken. He was sort of stuck out as if he was uh, having tea with the Queen, just holding his little pinky out. But it was, uh, no, very, very good to see. Lots of uh, thrills and spills. Just uh, a shame Lando didn't qualify a little bit better because I think he'd have been higher up. But I got uh, I got all giddy after free practice one and put a tenner each way. No, put a fiver each way on Albon to win the race, which, uh, which looked quite a good bet up until Q1. And then it all kind of fell apart, really. But there we go. You mentioned Lando. I mean, again, from my sort of lapsed McLaren fan, perspective it is great to see them looking like they're starting to rediscover what it was that they used to have that made them win <laughs> to not put too fine a point on it it's it's nice it's lovely to see and again maybe slightly getting ahead of ourselves but in the uh, the US race inheriting a place at the top on the uh, on the podium but to finish first, first you've got to finish. Didn't finish first, obviously, but for the misfortune of others, you've got to be there or thereabouts in order to inherit the mantle. And it was another one that um, Lando was basically at the pointy end of for pretty much the whole race. Again, lovely to see. It looks like McLaren do seem to have their mojo back. And um, the more people there are up the front trying to challenge the uh, the all-conquering Red Bull, then if it's a McLaren, so much the better, as far as I'm concerned. The issue we've got, Maybe at the moment is as as one to I mean early on in the season you know I saw I saw one of these memes the other day and it's a, the the couple in bed and it's the woman thinking oh I bet he's lying there thinking about other women and the uh, and in the guy's head the little bubble was Alonso's early run of uh, of podiums and success at the start of the year and just as a McLaren trajectory has gone upwards the Aston Martin trajectory has gone downwards so I do kind of worry that actually it's just going to be as as the other teams finally get their heads around the regulations and, and seem to be more track specific is it going to be Red Bull with McLaren nipping at their heels this race and next race it's Red Bull with Ferrari nipping at their heels and next race it's Red Bull with Mercedes nipping at their heels and just by virtue of the fact that they're always there or thereabouts finishing first or second even as a worst case scenario we need that team to make a really consistent strong step up and then maintain that through the season. You know, you'd have put good money on Alonso winning a race, being the first non-Red Bull driver to win a race early on in the season, whereas that that looks a bit silly now to even um, even consider that. I'll be completely honest. You might think I'm mad for this. I'm just really pleased that Danny Rick's back in so that when I watch Drive to Survive, I get the entertainment value. Is, is that uh, wrong? He's good value, isn't he? I, I still haven't watched the, the most recent season of Drive to Survive. I just have A, I've been maniacally busy but b it's just i'm i'm not sure it's aimed at me as as a diehard f1 no, fan it's almost that it's I, I think not. i watch drive to survive in the same way that anyone who knows anything about cars watches the runway scene from the fast and furious or you know <laughs> warning danger to manifold why has my 
footwell fallen out. What's that got to do with the manifold? It's it's that kind of yeah, yeah no, this sure. this isn't really that's that's not how it happens. So I, I think it would irritate me more than anything. What is interesting is my my brother and his other half, both of whom have absolutely no interest in cars whatsoever, started watching Drive to Survive for some reason. I'm not even sure why they started, but then became hooked on F1 as a result of watching Drive to Survive. I think as long as you accept the fact that um, it needs to start with dramatization based upon real events, doesn't it? I think this is That's this it. this is yeah. the thing. But as long as you take everything with a pinch of salt, I find it really interesting to see behind the curtain. I I do really enjoy it, as I think I've, I've said many times before. Really, um, tin, tin top racing is more my my bag. Stuff that looks like stuff I can drive. I'm I'm more interested in generally speaking. Um, but I, I do find it I do find it quite quite good fun to watch. Um, it's a perfect sort of tea time viewing I think you sat down after a long day and you can watch it it's, it's one of those things that you can sit there and enjoy just to have the American races be they north south middle Latin or otherwise are at quite a good time you know when the race is on at eight o'clock is oh it's dinner time perfect I'll sit down have me din dins watch the race that's that's the perfect time for it to be I think so yeah the more races in America just for the schedule of well it's dark outside so I can't be cleaning cars or out with the family or whatever it is then perfect and I guess on that little summary of F1, it's probably time for us to end. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been great to see you guys as well. I mean, you, you can't see us. We can see each other because we're on a... Lucky on a, you. I know, I know. We're one of these, I'm trying to think, rhymes with broom calls. Face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to us. Find us on YouTube and on the socials. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. Talk to you next time. Take care. See ya. Goodbye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.